0: Chapter Two of She and Alan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. She and Alan by H. Rider Haggard. Chapter Two, The Messengers. I did not rest as I should that night, who somehow was never able to sleep well in the neighborhood of the Black Kloof. I suppose that Zikali's constant talk about ghosts, with his hints and innuendos concerning those who were dead, always affected my nerves, till, in a subconscious way, I began to believe that such things existed, and were hanging about me. Many people are open to the power of suggestion— and I am afraid that I am one of them. However, the sun, which has such strength to kill noxious things, puts an end to ghosts more quickly, even than it does to other evil vapours and emanations. And when I woke up to find it shining brilliantly in a pure heaven, I laughed with much heartiness over the whole affair. Going to the spring near which we were outspanned, I took off my shirt to have a good wash, still chuckling at the memory of all the hocus-pocus of my old friend the opener of roads while engaged in this matutinal operation i struck my hand against something and looking observed that it was the hideous little ivory image of zikali which he had set about my neck The sight of the thing and the memory of his ridiculous talk about it, especially of its assertion that it had come down to him through the ages, which it could not have done, seeing that it was a likeness of himself, irritated me so much that I proceeded to take it off with the full intention of throwing it into the spring. As I was in the act of doing this, from a clump of reeds mixed with bushes, quite close to me, there came a sound of hissing and suddenly above them appeared the head of a great black imamba, perhaps the deadliest of all our African snakes, and the only one I know which will attack man without provocation. Leaving go of the image, I sprang back in a great hurry towards where my gun lay. Then the snake vanished, and making sure that it had parted to its hole which was probably at a distance, I returned to the pool, and once more began to take off the talisman, in order to consign it to the bottom of the pool. After all, I reflected, it was a hideous and probably a blood-stained thing, which I did not in the least wish to wear about my neck, like a lady's love-token. Just as it was coming over my head, suddenly from the other side of the bush, that infernal snake popped up again, This time it was clear, really intent on business. It began to move towards me in the lightning-like way Imambas have, hissing and flicking its tongue. I was too quick for my friend, however, for snatching up the gun that I had lain down beside me, I let it have a charge of buckshot in the neck, which nearly cut it in two, so that it fell down and expired with hideous convulsive writhings. Hearing the shot, Hans came running from the wagon to see what was the matter. Hans, I should say, was the same Hottentot who had been the companion of most of my journeyings since my father's day. He was with me when, as a young fellow, I accompanied Retief to Dingan's kraal and, like myself, escaped the massacre. Here see the book called Marie. Also we shared many other adventures— including the great one in the land of the ivory child where he slew the huge elephant god jana and himself was slain but of this journey we did not dream in those days for the rest hans was a most entirely unprincipled person but as the boers say as clever as a wagon-load of monkeys also he drank when he got the chance one good quality he had however No man was ever more faithful, and perhaps it would be true to say that neither man nor woman ever loved me, unworthy, quite so well. In appearance he rather resembled an antique and dilapidated baboon. His face was wrinkled like a dried nut, and his quick little eyes were bloodshot. I never knew what his age was, any more than he did himself. But the years had left him tough as whipcord and absolutely untiring. Lastly, he was perhaps the best hand at following a spore that ever I knew, and up to a hundred and fifty yards or so. A very deadly shot with a rifle, especially when he used a little single barreled muzzle-loading gun of mine, made by Purdy, which he named Intombi, or Maiden. Of that gun, however, I have written in the Holy Flower and elsewhere." "'What is it, Baas?' he asked. "'Here there are no lions, nor any game. "'Look at the other side of the bush, Hans.' "'He slipped round it, making a wide circle with his usual caution. "'Then, seeing the snake, which was, by the way, I think, the biggest Imamba I ever killed, "'suddenly froze, as it were, in a stiff attitude that reminded me of a pointer when it scents game. "'Having made sure that it was dead, he nodded and said— Black Mamba, or so you would call it, though I know it for something else. What else, Hans? One of the old witch-doctor Sikali's spirits, which he sets at the mouth of his kloof to warn him who comes or goes. I know it well, and so do others. I saw it listening behind a stone when you were up the kloof last evening, talking with the opener of roads. Then Zikali will lack a spirit, I answered, laughing, which perhaps he will not miss amongst so many. It serves him right for setting the brute on me. Quite so, Baas He will be angry. I wonder why he did it, he added suspiciously, seeing that he is such a friend of yours. He didn't do it, Hans. These snakes are very fierce and give battle, that is all.' He paid no attention to my remark, which probably he thought only worthy of a white man who does not understand, but rolled his yellow bloodshot eyes about, as though in search of explanations. Presently they fell upon the ivory that hung about my neck, and he started. Why do you wear that pretty likeness of the Great One yonder over your heart, as I have known you do with things that belong to women in past days, Bas? Do you know that it is Sikali's great medicine, nothing less as everyone does throughout the land? When Zikali sends an order far away, he always sends that image with it, for then he who receives the order knows that he must obey or die. Also the messenger knows that he will come to no harm if he does not take it off, because, Baas, the image is Sikali himself, and Sikali is the image— They are one and the same. Also, it is the image of his father's father's father, or so he says. That is an odd story, I said. Then I told Hans as much as I thought advisable of how this horrid little talisman came into my possession. Hans nodded without showing any surprise. So, we are going on a long journey, he said. Well, I thought it was time that we did something more than wander about these tame countries, selling blankets to stinking old women and so forth, Bas, Moreover, Zikali does not wish that you should come to harm, doubtless because he does wish to make use of you afterwards. Oh, it's safe to talk now when that spirit is away looking for another snake. What were you doing with the great medicine, Bas, when the mamba attacked you? taking it off to throw it into the pool, Hans, as I do not like the thing. I tried twice, and each time the Imamba appeared. Of course it appeared, Bas. And what is more, if you had taken that medicine off and thrown it away, you would have disappeared, since the Mamba would have killed you. Tsikali wanted to show you that, Bas, and that is why he set the snake on you you are a superstitious old fool hans yes baas but my father knew all about that great medicine before me for he was a bit of a doctor and so does every wizard and which for a thousand miles or more i tell you baas it is known by all th- though no one ever talks about it no not even the king himself baas speaking to you not with the voice of hans the old drunkard but with that of the predicate your reverend father who made so good a christian of me and who tells me to do so from up in heaven where the hot fires are which the wood feeds of itself i beg you not to try to throw away the medicine again or if you wish to do so to leave me behind on this journey for you see baas although i am now so good almost like one of those angels with the pretty goose wings in the pictures i feel that i should like to grow a little better before i go to the place of fires to make report to your reverend father the predicate thinking of how horrified my dear father would be if he could hear all this string of ridiculous nonsense and learn the result of his moral and religious lessons on raw hottentot material i burst out laughing but Hans went on as gravely as a judge. "'Wear the great medicine, Baas Wear it. Part with the liver inside you before you part with that, Baas It may not be as pretty or smell as sweet as a woman's hair in a little gold bottle, but it is much more useful. The sight of the woman's hair will only make you sick in your stomach and cause you to remember a lot of things which you had much better forget.' but the great medicine or rather zikali who is in it will keep the assegais and sickness out of you and turn back bad magic to the heads of those who sent it and always bring us plenty to eat and perhaps if we are lucky a little to drink too. sometimes go away i said i want to wash yes baas but with the baas leave I will sit on the other side of that bush with the gun, not to look at the bass without his clothes, because white people are always so ugly that it makes me feel ill to see them undressed, also because the bass will forgive me, but because they smell—no, not for that, but just to see that no other snake comes. Get out of the road, you dirty little scoundrel, and stop your impudence, I said, lifting my foot suggestively thereon he scooted with a subdued grin round the other side of the bush whence as i knew well he kept his eye fixed on me to be sure that i made no further attempt to take off the great medicine now of this talisman i may as well say at once that i am no believer in it or its precious influences therefore although it was useful sometimes notably twice when umslopogaas was concerned i do not know whether personally i should have done better or worse upon that journey if i had thrown it into the pool it is true however that until quite the end of this story when it became needful to do so to save another i never made any further attempt to remove it from my neck not even when it rubbed a sore in my skin because i did not wish to offend the prejudices of hans it is true moreover that this hideous ivory had a reputation which stretched very far from the place where it was made and was regarded with great reverence by all kinds of queer people even by the amahager themselves of whom presently as they say in pedigrees a fact of which i found sundry proofs indeed I sought first example of it when a little while later I met that great warrior, Amslukpugas, chief of the people of the Axe. For, after determining firmly, for reasons which I will set out, that I would not visit this man, in the end I did so, although by then I had given up any idea of journeying across the Zambezi to look for a mysterious and non-existent witch-woman, as Sikali had suggested that I should do. To begin with, I knew that his talk was all rubbish, and, even if it were not, that at the bottom of it was some desire of the opener of roads, that I should make a path for him to travel towards an indefinite but doubtless evil object of his own. Further, by this time, I had worn through that mood of mine, which had caused me to yearn for correspondence with the departed, and a certain knowledge of their existence. I wonder whether many people understand, as I do, how entirely distinct and how variable are these moods which sway us, or at any rate some of us, at sundry periods of our lives. As I think I have already suggested, at one time we are all spiritual, at another all physical. At one time we are sure that our lives here are as a dream and a shadow, and that the real existence lies elsewhere. At another, that these brief days of ours are the only business with which we have to do, and that of it we must make the best. At one time we think our love's much more immortal than the stars. At another, that they are mere shadows, cast by the baleful sun of desire, upon the shallow and fleeting water we call life, which seems to flow out of nowhere into nowhere. At one time we are full of faith, at another all such hopes are blotted out by a black wall of nothingness and so on ad infinitum only very stupid people or humbugs are or pretend to be always consistent and unchanging to return i determined not only that i would not travel north to seek that which no living man will ever find certainty as to the future but also to show my independence of that i would not visit this chief Umslopogaas, so having traded all my goods and made a fair profit on paper i set myself to return to natal proposing to rest a while in my little house at durban and told hans my mind very good baas he said i too should like to go to durban there are lots of things there that we cannot get here and he fixed his roving eye upon a square-faced gin-bottle, which, as it happened, was filled with nothing stronger than water, because all the gin was drunk. Yet, baas, we shall not see the Berea for a long while. Why do you say that? I asked sharply. Oh, baas, I don't know. But you went to visit the opener of roads, did you not? and he told you to go north, and lent you a certain great medicine, did he not? Here Hans proceeded to light his corncob pipe with an ash from the fire, all the time keeping his beady eyes fixed upon that part of me where he knew the talisman was hung. Quite true, Hans, but now I mean to show Zikali that I am not his messenger, for south or north or east or west, so to-morrow morning we cross the river and trek for natal yes baas but then why not cross it this evening there is still light i have said that we will cross it to-morrow morning i answered with that firmness which i have read always indicates a man of character and i do not change my word no baas but sometimes other things change besides words will the bass have that buck's leg for supper or the stuff out of a tin with a dint in it which we bought at a store two years ago the flies have got at the buck's leg but i cut out the bits with the maggots on it and ate them myself hans was right things do change especially the weather that night unexpectedly for when i turned in the sky seemed quite serene There came a terrible rain long before it was due, which lasted off and on for three whole days, and continued intermittently for an indefinite period. Needless to say, the river which it would have been so easy to cross on this particular evening by the morning was a raging torrent, and so remained for several weeks. In despair, at length, I trekked south to where a ford was reported, which, when reached, proved impracticable. I tried another, a dozen miles further on, which was very hard to come to over boggy land. It looked all right, and we were getting across finally, when suddenly one of the wheels sank in an unexpected hole, and there we stuck. Indeed, I believe the wagon, or bits of it, would have remained in the neighborhood of that ford to this day, had I not managed to borrow some extra oxen belonging to a Christian Kaffir, and with their help to drag it back to the bank, whence we had started. As it happened, I was only just in time, since a new storm which had burst further up the river brought it down in flood again, a very heavy flood. In this country, England, where I write, there are bridges everywhere, and no one seems to appreciate them. If they think of them at all, it is to grumble about the cost of their upkeep. I wish they could have experienced what a lack of them means in a wild country, during times of excessive rain. And the same remark applied to roads. You should think more of your blessings, my friends, as the old woman said to her complaining daughter, who had twins two years running, adding that they might have been triplets." To return after this I confessed myself beaten, and gave up until such time as it should please Providence to turn off the water-tap. Trekking out of sight of that infernal river, which annoyed me with its constant gurgling, I camped on a comparatively dry spot that overlooked a beautiful stretch of rolling veld. Towards sunset the clouds lifted— and i saw a mile or two away a most extraordinary mountain on the lower slopes of which grew a dense forest its upper part which was of bare rock looked exactly like the seated figure of a grotesque person with a chin resting on the breast there was the head there were the arms there were the knees indeed the whole mass of it reminded me strongly of the effigy of sikali which was tied about my neck or rather of sikali himself what is that called i said to hans pointing to this strange hill now blazing in the angry fire of the setting sun that had burst out between the storm-clouds which made it appear more ominous than even then before that is the witch mountain baas where the chief Omslopogas and a blood brother of his who carried a great club used to hunt with the wolves It is haunted, and in a cave at the top of it lie the bones of Nada the lily, the fair woman whose name is a song, she who was the love of Umslopogaas. For the story of Umslopogaas and Nada, see the book called Nada the Lily. Rubbish, I said, though I had heard something of all that story, and remembered that Zikali had mentioned this Nada, comparing her beauty to that of another whom once I knew where then lives the chief Umslopogas. They say that his town is yonder on the plain, Bas. It is called the Place of the Axe, and is strongly fortified with a river round most of it, and his people are the people of the Axe. They are a fierce people, and all the country round here is uninhabited because Umslopogas has cleaned out the tribes who used to live in it first with his wolves and afterwards in war. He is so strong a chief and so terrible in battle that even Chaka himself was afraid of him, and they say that he brought Dingaan the king to his end because of a quarrel about this nada. Sitiwayo, the present king, too leaves him alone, and to him he pays no tribute." whilst i was about to ask hans from whom he had collected all this information suddenly i heard sounds and looking up saw three tall men clad in full herald's dress rushing towards us at great speed here come some chips from the axe said hans and promptly bolted into the wagon i did not bolt because there was no time to do so without loss of dignity but although i wished i had my rifle with me just sat still upon my stool, and with great deliberation lighted my pipe, taking not the slightest notice of the three savage-looking fellows. These who I noted carried axes instead of assegais, rushed straight at me with the axes raised in such a fashion that any one unacquainted with the habits of Zulu warriors of the old school might have thought that they intended nothing short of murder. As I expected, however— Within about six feet of me they halted suddenly, and stood there still as statues. For my part I went on lighting my pipe, as though I did not see them, and when at length I was obliged to lift my head, surveyed them with an air of mild interest. Then I took a little book out of my pocket. It was my favorite copy of the Ingoldsby legends, and began to read. The passage which caught my eye, if ax be substituted for knife, was not inappropriate. It was from the nurse's story and runs. But, oh, what a thing tis to see and to know, that the bare knife is raised in the hand of the foe, without hope to repel or to ward off the blow. This proceeding of mine astonished them a good deal, who felt that they had, so to speak, missed fire. At last the soldier in the middle said, "'Are you blind, white man?' No, black fellow, I answered, but I am short-sighted. Would you be so good as to stand out of my light? A remark which puzzled them so much that all three drew back a few paces. When I had read a little further, I came to the following lines. "'Tis plain as astronomers tell us that never again shall life revisit the full-lips lane, when once they've been cut through the juggler of vain." In my circumstances at that moment, this statement seemed altogether too suggestive, so I shut up the book and remarked, "'If you are wanderers who want food, as I judge by your being so thin, I am sorry that I have little meat, but my servants will give you what they can.' "'Oh,' said the spokesman, "'he calls us wanderers. Either he must be a very great man, or he is mad. You are right.' I am a great man, I answered, yawning, and if you trouble me too much, you will see that I can be mad also. Now, what do you want? We are messengers from the great chief Umslopogas, captain of the people of the Axe, and we want tribute, answered the man, in a somewhat changed tone. Do you? Then you won't get it. I thought that only the king of Zululand had a right to tribute— "'And your captain's name is not Setewire, is it?' "'Our captain is king here,' said the man still more uncertainly. "'Is he indeed? "'Then away with you, back to him, and tell this king, of whom I have never heard, "'though I have a message for a certain Umslopogas, that Makomatsan, watcher by night, "'intends to visit him tomorrow, if he will send a guide at the first light, "'to show the best path for the wagon." Hearken, said the man to his companions, this is Makumasan himself, and no other. Well, we thought it, for who else would have dared? Then they saluted with their axes, calling me chief, and other fine names, and departed as they had come, at a run, calling out that my message should be delivered, and that doubtless Umslopogaas would send the guide. So it came about that, quite contrary to my intention. After all, circumstances brought me to the town of the axe. Even to the last moment I had not meant to go there. But when the tribute was demanded, I saw that it was best to do so, and having once passed my word, it could not be altered. Indeed, I felt sure that in this event there would be trouble, and that my oxen would be stolen, or worse. So, fate having issued its decree, of which Han's version was that Zikali or his great medicine, had so arranged things, I shrugged my shoulders and waited. End of chapter 2 of H. Ryder Haggard, She and Alan Read by Lars Rolander